This episode of the 343 podcast is supported by Bounce Athletics. Bounce Athletics is offering you an additional 10% discount because they know that you are serious about high-quality soccer products if you are listening to this show. Training balls from Bounce Athletics can be customized with your logo and your color scheme and will only cost you about $15 to $20 per ball. And if you compare similar textured training balls from Nike, Adidas, or Select, those would be in the $50 to $60 range. Now, I've personally tested the balls from Bounce Athletics. They feel great. They look great. They roll great. They hold air, which is super important. They are legit, and I highly recommend them. To top everything off, Bounce Athletics will send you complimentary mock-ups of what your balls will look like with your logo on them. Just email your logo to info at Bounce Athletics to begin the order process. And remember to mention 343 so you get that additional 10% discount when you place your order. This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Lisa Cole has over 20 years experience at the youth, collegiate, professional, and international levels and is well-versed in soccer operations, camps, and nonprofit work. She has coached in both the WPS and NWSL Women's Professional Leagues and has held numerous NCAA Division I collegiate coaching positions. We started out our conversation talking about her time coaching international soccer with Papua New Guinea, That led to talking about some of the struggles women's soccer programs are still facing all over the world. And it wasn't what we planned to talk about, but I'm super glad that we did because it brings some very, very interesting issues to light. And it also made uh, for a great learning opportunity for me and I'm sure for for many others about the reality of international women's soccer and the reality of their youth programs. I think it's something that we just don't think about and we actually take for granted here in the United States. So that was um, interesting to talk about. I'm glad that we did. But the plan was to talk about how to teach by giving players cues to be successful on the field. And when we got to that, that conversation actually um, diverted to talking about rehearsing and pattern play and choreography. And we actually realized we had different ideas when it comes to teaching players cues or using cues to teach players. And it was kind of cool to have a little back and forth instead of just agreeing with each other on everything. It, it, I know, uh, <laughs> I guess I'll just, I'll leave it at that. And then uh, you guys can make up your own minds about that later on when you guys listen. But uh, eventually the conversation turned into something that I am actually very, very passionate about, which is promotion relegation and how badly we need a better arena for our different soccer ideas to compete against each other. And without that arena, without promotion relegation, uh, we're just left with talking about different ideas about soccer and not being able to have our ideas compete on a field. So I think that promotion relegation again comes to the light or comes to light in a very, very um, important way. So I hope that you guys appreciate us uh, putting some of our ideas out there and then also coming to an agreement on, on what we're sorely, sorely missing here in the United States. Uh, this podcast is supported by Bounce Athletics. I'm just giving them an extra plug. Hopefully you guys heard about them in the intro. Hopefully you guys stick around and hear about them in the middle of the episode. Um, but be sure to check them out. Buy their soccer balls. They are the best on the market. I use them every week in my soccer practices. Uh, the show is also brought to you by the best online coaching education membership program that is available. That is 343 if you haven't picked up on that. If you want to teach your teams how to play possession-based soccer and you want to become a better coach, 343 have the proven experience and knowledge to help you accomplish those goals. In addition to hundreds of blog posts, podcasts, and videos, 343 offers a free course and also offers a premium membership program for ambitious coaches. The 343 membership program is designed to reduce your trial and error time and help you achieve your coaching goals. You get 24-7 online access to videos of real training sessions and real games, audio lessons, ebooks, recorded clinics, classroom presentations, and you also get forums for networking with other 343 members who are pushing the limits of coaching here in the United States. You can go to 343 Coaching to find out more information about all of the benefits of signing up, or you can just go to 343 Coaching and sign up and start learning. Why waste time? Just sign up and start learning today. Other coaches are doing it. You should do it too. Uh, once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right, 
That's it for the intro. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with Lisa Cole. Go ahead and go for it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, my name is Lisa Cole. I um, have done a little bit of everything in the game, actually. I've uh, been fortunate to uh, coach at the professional level with the Boston Breakers, the Houston Dash, and the Washington Spirit. I've also coached internationally um, with Papua New Guinea. When they hosted the U20 World Cup, I went over and put together uh, their team for that event and coached in some Olympic qualifiers with the senior team. Um, but I started my coaching um, at the youth level um, and I'm doing some youth game stuff now as a technical director for Center Soccer and Mountain District Union. And then um, I've coached in the college game Originally coming out of college myself at Ole Miss, UConn, um, and then I was a head coach at Rhode Island and then assisted Mark Corian in his first year at Florida State. So my my experience across, has been across the game at kind of all levels. And mostly on the on the women's side or, or men and women? Yeah, well, my experience um, in the youth game, like both with um, – high school and then also in um with a club has been on the boys and girls side but professionally and internationally i've been on the women's side of the game got it hey i have a i have an interesting question i didn't anticipate asking this and and if you don't if you don't want to talk about it tell me and i can i can delete this question out of the interview but you mentioned that when you went over during that u20 world cup cycle you were helping to kind of like formulate a team and and get a team ready to to compete in that in that tournament and i've noticed that at all levels of women's soccer female soccer girls soccer that seems to be a, a constant theme is that there's a team that is kind of just like thrown together in order to just compete in the tournament. And I think it was most, uh, most recently done by Trinidad and Tobago, maybe against, uh, against the United States or a tournament here in, at, at the, uh, where was it? It was in Raleigh, I believe, uh, where they kind of just, you know, they had, they had to f- scramble to find a coach at the last second and, and just to, you know, kind of formulate a team. And, and that was at the senior level. That was at the highest, the, the highest level. But is that, is that something that is, is frequently happening uh, on the women's side of the game? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, um, you know, FIFA does their best to make sure, okay, we have a U-20 World Cup, we have a U-17 World Cup, but most countries don't actually put together teams unless they um, can actually, are actually going to participate in an event. So if OFC doesn't hold like a U-17 qualifying uh, tournament, then a lot of teams don't go. Like they won't put together a team. And in my case, with that under 20 game, the group, they actually had never, that actual age group had never played in a tournament. Their first tournament was the World Cup because as a host country, we just got in. Um, I brought them over and we did some games in the U.S. and things like that. But our actual first tournament, first event was in a World Cup. And to me, you're just setting those players up for failure. I'm really proud of what they did and how they competed, but you're not going to win games when that's the environment that those players are in. So, and even like after the World Cup, there's been no legacy program. So there's been no, we, we got them in shape. We showed them the expectations and then the funding went away. And so those girls haven't um, really been training um, since that world cup, except for a week or two before an event. And then we could, two before event, everybody scrambles and puts a team together and goes, okay, here's our team. But that just isn't going to lead to any sort of long-term development for those players in those countries. How, how does a person like you come across a job like that? Um, I think um, that particular job, um, I was at the 2015 World Cup and people were talking about the fact that the job was open. And one of my friends, Amanda Vanderhort, actually um, was like, you know, Lisa sounds like someone that might be um, good for that job because I had experience 
with the breakers. So I knew a high level standard. I knew what it looked like to be professional. Um, but at the same time, my roots were roots as well. So my expectations or my ability to handle some of the challenges of being in a country like Papua New Guinea were probably better than some people that maybe only had experience at an international level or only had experience professionally because, you know, you get spoiled in those environments in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always like those types of situations are always interesting to me. I always see a a news story about uh, either an American coach or or quite frequently a, um, a British coach going to like a small country or a small island island uh, country a lot of times too um and leading them through either a tournament or a cycle and then it, it seems to like you said like there seems to be no legacy program after that particular event and it's always been puzzling to me I've, and i've always been curious about how that how that even happens and then when i saw it happen with the with the women at trinidad and tobago at the last tournament um I, and i think there was a qualifying tournament that was at um at wake med and when i saw that happening at the senior level i was like this is this is something that that needs more attention and has to change. Yeah, I think it's something we need to hold a higher standard um, to FIFA. I think um, in what they how they go about funding, and I know they're trying to change that. There's been some leadership changes, and I know um, within PNG there's been some changes in terms of them not being able to accept receive money until they can show that they're actually put these things in place and. So I think there are um, – it's about making sure the funding goes to the right places and then making sure that it's being fun. like the actual things that you've asked them to do is funded. Like our legacy program had funding, but the funding went somewhere else. So then the program didn't run. So that's part of – it's uh, the bigger issue becomes about corruption. There's some good people trying to make things happen. But if the funding doesn't show up, then you're in trouble. I wanted to stay on there, but there's just no funding left yeah. at that at the end of the tournament. Because for me, that was the bigger piece. It's like um, you have a group of U20s, and some of half my team was U17s. So this last U20 event, they could have been half of that team would have been eligible for. So if they could have qualified for that, they would have had two World Cups under the belt, and then. You have them qualifying out of OFC, which is basically them and New Zealand as the two teams that compete. Um, and then you have them set to, you know, at least push for a World Cup or an Olympic qualifying opportunity. But that doesn't – it happens over time. It happens over generations. So um, you have to put in a longer-term investment than a year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um... – we, as Americans, we forget how far ahead of of the game we are, especially when it comes to uh, the women's side of the game. It's just, you know, other countries are, are literally just developing their programs, and they're and they're just they're just organizing their programs, and, and aren't even able to sustain their programs for longer than one year. So, we uh, we we forget how actually how good we have it sometimes. I think. Yeah, and I think that's why it's frustrating when we don't find success. I mean, we can talk about all the reasons for that, but, you know, there's other countries out there that are doing more with less. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, man, it's just, I, the build-up to this World Cup, the Women's World Cup that's going to take place this summer, I'm super excited about it, actually. And I think it's going to – I think once you get into, like, that final eight, I think it's going to be – very, very, very high quality matches, and and I'm excited to see all of that. That's something I'm really looking forward to this summer. Yeah, I think it'll be fun, and it'll be interesting to watch the countries that are there for the first time as well, um, because that's the start of their soccer journey, really, right? To get to that event, and then to go back to their country and say, okay, do we continue to develop, or do they lose those teams? in a year or two from now. So it'll be interesting to see what the legacy of this World Cup is. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Um, all right, I want to get I want to get back on track. That was something I didn't anticipate talking about. Uh, so, so <laughs> no problem. Um, the, the the topic that we had kind of zeroed in on and, and discussed just very briefly in just a couple email exchanges was um, was cues. And, and the use of, of cues and how coaches can, can use cues. And so 
I guess the the thing that really struck me is that I've I've used the term Q before when when coaching, but I'm curious how you use it and how you describe it, and also because you're you're a coaching educator, um, and you're you're using that term. I'm assuming when you're when you're leading courses and and talking in, with other with other coaches that are looking to advance their education and with I'm I'm assuming again like your your club wide education. Um, so when when you mentioned cues, my ears kind of perked up, and I, I was curious to see how you might describe that. So I'm just going to kind of toss it to you with with that. Um, introduction of the topic and, and kind of see, let's, let's see where it goes. Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, my background is as an educator and I was mentored by um, Tony DiCicco. And so his philosophy a lot of times was to say, how do we break the game down into moments, you know, and particularly I have a goalkeeping background. And so we would talk about, okay, when the ball's in this part of the field, what are the concerns of the goalkeeper? What are the cues? What are the things that they should be worried about? What's the first priority, second priority, third priority? So you can break down moments for players and for coaches to say, okay, based on where the ball is, whether there's pressure on the ball and the uh, options of um, the supporting or the supporting players, so the options of the player on the ball, what are the things you should be worried about? Those are cues. So based on these things, I know that they could do this, they could do this, they could do that. And for me as a goalkeeper coach, then you can start to eliminate some things or put yourself in position so that you're best able to handle the ball that's going to come in. So, if you take that to field players, it's simple. For me, the biggest example I give uh, young coaches and uh, players when we start out is like, okay, you're the first attacker. You have the ball, right? And the game is as simple as this. Like, if you can shoot, you should shoot, right? If the goal's open, if there's a pathway to the goal, you have the ball, you look up, the goal is there, what should you do? You know, the option is to shoot. If you can't shoot, what do we want to do as an attacker to get forward? We want our, what do we want to do? We want to get the ball forward. So can that be on the pass or the dribble? So how can you penetrate? And then if you can't pass or dribble to penetrate, then you look to keep possession, maybe off the pass, maybe off the dribble, maybe by shielding the ball until something comes open or, um, and then it changes from there, right? So then you just go back to it. Okay, this when I shielded the ball, uh, somebody made a run. Now this opened up. I make that decision. So I think it's about giving players ideas like what's the first thing I want to look for? Can I shoot? I can't shoot. Okay, can I penetrate? How can I penetrate, dribble, or pass? And then for me, like when I go into the clubs I work with and I see a young player on the ball, I can ask them those things. And so I'm like, when you receive the ball, what's the first thing you look for? And they'll recite those things. And if they are breaking the game down that way, I think you've um, made it easier for them to make good decisions on the ball. And you're not taking away the decision, right? You're not saying, okay, when you were inside the 18, shoot. You're, you're saying what's the checklist that players go through to make a good decision on the ball based on what the game is giving them. So it's about um, helping without just telling them what the answer is. Yeah. It's you're, you're striking a lot of chords with me because this is something that I, I feel like I'm in the same book, but maybe not on the same page as you when it comes to cues and specifically with something that you said, giving them ideas. And so when giving, giving the players, you know, a checklist of ideas is something that's super, super, super important. And the way that I've always, or one way that I've done that with players is with, um, with like choreography or pattern play. And so you go through like a, you know, a, a set of, of, of passes and then it gets to a certain point or get a player receives the ball and it's like, okay, you know, what are your options here? Well, okay, option one, I could dribble. Option two, I could shoot. Option three, I could pass. I could pass here, here, and here. So you're kind of just going through like different scenarios and, and making sure they understand all the different ideas. And, and there's no one right or wrong answer, but making sure the players understand all of the different ideas in front of them, I think is very, very important. And um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. 
Yeah, no, I think um, you're, you're on the right track because um, we also talk about and I talk about the fact that um, what is a good decision and is there a better decision and is there a best decision? So like I can keep possession and play backwards, but if there was a forward pass, was that the best decision? So we talk in terms of, of that as well as like, what's the, did you make the best decision? Did you make a good decision or different things? Right. Because there's not a, like the game of soccer for me, I love it because it's not black and white. There isn't like one formation that wins all the time. There isn't one way to play, you know, direct can be successful in the right moments of the game. Possession is great, but not if you're getting pressed all the time, you know, so you, the game is based on making decisions based on that particular moment. Um, And so we always talk about, I I go, Hey, good decision, you know, but did you have a better choice? You know, because we could have gone forward there. You kept possession, though, so that's not a bad idea. But this might have been a better one, you know. So we talk in that way with players. And I think that helps them, like, realize that maybe based on where they are on the field, where they might want to take more risk and where they might want to just keep possession. And those are also better decisions, right? So if you keep possession in the um, in your end, is that a good decision or if you press go ahead and clear the ball forward is that a good decision well it depends on what the other team is doing so I think it is like choreographing is is hard but but shadow play and putting players out there in the field um I think you know I don't know if you've heard Tovo or Todd Bean's work but there's a lot of talk around the fact that if you don't have opposition then you can't really play the game like you can get repetition and technique but if you take the decision out of the game um you're you're in trouble because the game is all about making decisions based on what opposition so when we train without opposition um are we really training the game is a little bit like where we get to um and i think for me like we've just done a um a two-week cycle about talking about when to press you know, and so what are the cues that a player should go and press? And if you have the whole team on the same page with when to press, you're in good shape. Just like if you have a back line that understands when to drop, when you're going to hold, when you're going to uh, step. Like if everybody gets on the same page. So for me, cues are about that, like putting us all on the same page. You see this action, it then gets this response, not just from me, but from the rest of the group um, behind me or in front of me, if that makes sense. So I've really tried to break down the game that way um, so that when when they decide to do something, it's not based on, oh, well, when the ball went wide, we slid left. No, when the ball went wide and there was a bad touch or a bad pass, we pressed. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's a little bit the same, but it's not quite the same because why you move is important. Yep. And you can't do that without the ball in opposition. Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. It's a part-time DOC. I had a budget and, you know, we needed training gear every year and it just was getting more and more difficult to find decent, high quality, affordable training balls. That's Zach. He's the co-founder of Bounce Athletics. And as a coach, he was having a hard time finding quality soccer balls at an affordable price. So he started searching for ways to solve that problem for himself and for others. We've been able to experiment with a lot of different textured materials and construction methods. And, and I think we've really got it dialed in to, to where now, you know, with, with our training balls, we're providing super high level training balls that have all the modern technology in them for a fraction of the price of global brands. Zach and Bounce Athletics are offering 343 members and listeners 10% off orders of those custom premium soccer balls that he was just talking about. Email info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process and be sure to mention 343 to receive your 10% discount. All right, let's get back to the show. 
and I think that we, or I, I'll speak for myself, um, have used like the unopposed or the, the choreographed or the patterns, however you want to describe it, um, as an introduction to, you know, the different ideas or the, the different scenarios. And so I guess I don't, I don't want to, you know, try to teach my, my, my forwards and two attacking mids how to press um, without walking them through the different ideas first. And so walk them through, hey, if the ball's in this area of the field, this is probably a good way to press. And if they go this way, this is probably the next chain of reaction, or this, this should be the next chain of events that happens and blah, 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 blah. Do that 15, 20 minutes, whatever. And then you introduce, you know, the, the competition aspect of it. And they, they go into it knowing like, hey, you know, this is what it was maybe supposed to look like, or these were my options. Did I make the right decision? Like you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, there was a, a good, better and best uh, yeah. of, the, of the decision making. And so I don't know the the unopposed versus opposed thing. It, it's such a polarizing topic or, or, or debate. I don't know. I don't understand why, because there's so many different ways we can accomplish uh, you know, getting, getting through a, a specific topic of the game. And, and that's kind of the beauty of it. Like, Hey, like we all have different ideas and, and we're all going to train them differently. And, and then let's compete on the field and see who wins. I think that's kind yeah. of, that, that's the coolest aspect of soccer. And I think um, sometimes we have to understand that um, children learn in different ways, just like adults learn in different ways. And so they traditionally learn by experiencing it. Right. So I think, um, I was just talking with, to one of our coaches. He, he's a uh, our 06 coach, so U12 is playing 11 v 11 for the first time, and he wants to go out and do a lot of choreographing because he's like, they just don't understand like the how many the 11 on the field at the same time. Um, but for me, a little bit, um, we can do that. But at the same time, I'd rather put them in a like a a grid game or something where there's like three players in one grid, almost like a Lancy land grid where there's three players, one grid, they've got to get the ball to the other grid where there's another, a target player. But in the middle grid, there's two forwards. If you're playing with two forwards, right. And they've got to read. So they have one or two touch. They knock the ball around. Bad pass happens. One of the forwards goes and presses and sees if they can win it. And that kind of stuff. So I'm looking to teach them to read cues to then be successful in the big picture. And he was, he, I just think it's a lot of, I think for us as adults, we want to see the whole picture because then that makes sense for us. But the truth is, is that those kids at that age, they only recognize or see what's next to them. So if on the bigger field, I can get them to respond in the right way with the players next to them. So I talk about relationships, like can our two forwards have a good relationship? Can our forward and um, outside mid have a good relationship and our attacking mid? Because if the three of them go and press at the right time, what's all the rest of the team going to do? They're going to step, right? Because they're going to see the cues to step. So you can put everybody out on the field and say, move this way, shift this way. But what are you doing? You're dictating. But if I can set up games or activities where the three that lead whatever the topic is, where the relationships, okay, um, went to press, or it could be like, when do we create an overlap? Like, if we can create the relationship for the two or three players in the game, that need to do that at the right moment in time, everybody else will see them do those things and then they'll adjust based on those cues. Does that make sense? Like, I think almost that like you can, like if you really break down the game and if you go watch any game, really it's about how many players, if you watch it, uh, messy play sometimes like he's pulling away he's walking away from the game walking away from the game and then he sees something happen and then he sprints into the field so there's this feeling of the game so did somebody choreograph how he plays no. I would say no you know so if he as a kid was told okay based on your position slide right now based on your position slide left now based on your position drop now he wouldn't be creative what he's reading is cues and where space is opening and so he's reading what he's seeing 
And that's what I think we need to teach kids is based on what you see, based on what the opposition is seeing or doing, and based on where you are in the field, do you make good decisions based on these cues? So if I don't step and it's a, if I'm a forward and I don't go and press, even though it's a bouncing ball and it's a bad pass, if I don't go, should the back line go? No, because I didn't go. So really you have to get that first group to do their job and then, okay, our forwards went, what do the rest of us do? We go together, you know? So I think when you choreograph, I don't know, that that's my opinion. And I think there is a place for choreographing too. Like we've, with professional teams, you know, no, you take them out there and you go, here's how we want to play. And then you let them play. But I think that's more adults see the game that way i think children see the game differently so you can talk about what's your relationship outside back to a wide player holding mid to attacking mid center backs to holding mid outside our forwards and outside mids what's their relationship how do we correspond or work together to do these things in attack and in defense that's giving them the cues and then maybe we'll create a creative player because i think in the u.s that's our problem right now we don't have too many i mean i got to work with sunshine that kid's a creative player he's on our u17s but the rest of the players are all following a script and that's our fault as coaches right there's very few players out there in the u.s right now that aren't following a script tobin Heath doesn't follow a script Pino doesn't follow a script, but a lot of those players, they know their role, but do they read the opportunities to be more creative or to get the best answer to what's being given to them on the field? I'd say we haven't done a good job of that. Yeah, I uh, I agree and disagree with like a bunch of stuff that you said. Like, like you were, <laughs> I agree with a lot of it, and then I and then there's some stuff I was like, ah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. The what when you started to talk about Messi, uh, what yeah. came to mind is his relationship that he has with Jordi Alba, and they yep. play, they play on opposite sides of the field. But it's you know how how frequently do you see Messi play the same exact ball over the back line and it just lands perfectly at Jordi Alba's feet, or how how often do you see Jordi Alba taking the ball all the way to the end line and then and then cutting it back to Messi and and you know you. But do you think they got that through choreographing or do you think they got that based on reading each other's body language? I think initially through choreographing and I think over, you know, years and years and years worth of time, I I think it has just become second nature. They know exactly what those players are, what their teammates are capable of doing and what they want to do and what they are probably do next. And now after you know having the structure in place they're able to explore creatively within that structure so like Messi might make might make the same run Jordi Alba instead of playing it to Messi which might be the choreographed aspect of it might see that Luis Suarez improvised and and went to the back post and now that was the best option so I, I think that you know there's there's a balance between the structure and the freedom um, that but I'm saying provides. But I, I would say to you that I doubt Barcelona choreographs any of those things. I, I don't think that they go out on a field and say, okay, hey, you're going to do this when this happens. You're going to do this when that happens. So how messy, how did they as kids get to a point where they could read what each other is doing and how different players have different strengths? And again, that's about developing relationships, not hard, fast rules based on where the ball is and for me choreographing is that ball goes here you go there ball shifts here you go there and i'm saying that the ball goes here you could go here or here or here based on what opposition movements of your teammates and support so it's it's not it's not something to get i think in america we have to choreograph because we don't watch the game that's why I think we have to show the picture of those things to our players and to our coaches because we don't grow up with the game. And that's how we're catching up. So I don't think it's a bad way to play catch up. 
But in an ideal world, if I was getting kids, and we are, if in an ideal world, we get kids at five, six, seven, eight. And I've been over to Barcelona, I've watched what they do. You should see their U10 team. Um, this guy Oscar runs that, that group. They're amazing. They are absolutely amazing. And that comes from free play. It doesn't come from, okay, ball goes here, move here. Ball goes there, move here. Um, it comes from them experiencing the game, having success in the game, and conditions being put on them to say, okay, you always have to find your 10. So before you can go forward, you have to find your 10. So your 10 works on how can they find the ball based on what? Where does the defender go? So if the defender comes um, if they push the defender high, they maybe receive it back to goal. They push the defender high, they check back at the right time, maybe they can receive it in turn. So you're giving them, like, you're letting them find the answers in free play rather than in um, a choreographed kind of environment where it's more regimented, I guess, in my opinion. And I I'm happy to have other people find success in different ways. I just think if we had the ideal way from start to finish would be to put our young players in environments where we um, allow them to make mistakes and allow them to feel the game rather than to have it choreographed. Yeah, 100%. And. I know that the people that are listening to this, they're going to be like, oh, like, wow, like finally John's interviewing somebody he doesn't, you know, isn't hitting on all cylinders with. And, and, and Lisa, to be honest, I think this is pretty cool that we, that we see it like slightly different. And we're able to talk about it. And that, that arena doesn't really exist in a lot of American soccer. I think we, a lot of people live in echo chambers. Um, and, and I think it's kind of cool to have a conversation where we don't necessarily see exactly eye to eye. Yeah, and I think it's also, just like I would say to players, like how we develop um, players is conditional. But for me, like, did I choreograph with P&G? They're 18, 19-year-old kids, and they've, they have a year to get on the same page. Of course I did. Of course I did. But are we talking about player development or, like, from the youngest ages – what should we be doing? Or are we talking about trying to get prepared for a World Cup in a short amount of time and getting people from all kinds of cultures and different backgrounds in a small country all on the same page? They're two different things. So it's um, not that choreographing doesn't have a place in the game. I think it does. You know, college coaches and stuff will choreograph. But do I think it has a place with my you? nines and tens and elevens, twelves. Hopefully not. I'm hope that I've, I develop them so that when they're older and they're playing 11 v 11, they're ahead of the game and they're feeling the game rather than um, being pulled around. But you get a new group of players together, you're going to walk through some stuff. Just shouldn't be the only way that we teach. That, does that make sense? No, that, that, that Lisa makes a lot of sense. And that's where I kind of, I think I said earlier that, you know, when you introduce a team, uh, whether you're coming in as a new coach at the professional level, or you're taking over a new, new group of U12s or whatever, and you want to, you want to make sure your ideas are, are kind of hammered in from the start. Yeah. You might do however you want to describe it, walkthroughs, pattern play, choreograph, whatever, you know, the initial ideas. So the players kind of get an idea for what the identity of, of, or the style of the team might, might be in the future. And then as, as the team kind of gets comfortable over time, then you start to incorporate, you know, uh, maybe numbers up games, eight V seven, eight V five, eight V six, whatever, until you're playing 10 V eight. And then, then, then eventually it's going to look how you want it to look at 11 v 11. But I think um, you can't expect that to look perfect in 11 v 11 right away if you're just in, if you're just having the kids play 11 v 11 all the time. I don't know if yeah. that makes sense either. So there, there, yeah. it's, it's a it's it's kind of like a um, what am I trying to think of? And my head, and the the thing I'm doing with my hand is like a teeter totter. I don't know, like a scale. So you have to figure yeah. out like like how to 
how to add more to one side at, at some time. And then eventually it's going to tip to the other side and, and then you're eventually going to kind of balance out and get your, get your end product. But that's kind of the art of coaching is, is you as a coach have to figure out what your team needs at that moment. So. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like um, again, and it's a, a developmentally appropriate, like our kids at a young age can understand what you're choreographing and that you spent 10, 20 minutes walking through something. The second you say play, what happens? It's out the window. So why did you waste that time? Why did you waste that time? That That's what I say to coaches that do that. Like, like with an older team that they kind of understand it. And again, would you like, we kind of call, I, I have a nine V nine group and they're struggling to play out of the back. Right. So instead of, instead of choreographing it for them, I'm like, okay, goal kick happens. Where, where are you supposed to go? And they all know, cause we've, they, they've um, read the sheets. We've talked through, okay, you go here, you go here, you go here. Okay. Now play. And we have, we send, um, so we have the three main players involved. So the center back, the outside back, and the holding mid on that side. So we create a 3v1. So I have one player, as soon as the ball is played, run in there. And they've got to solve that problem. How can they get out? It's 3v1. How can you get out? So if I'm under pressure and you're the outside player, um, you should come back and help because I'm under pressure. That's your cue to come back and help. Right. If there's space in front of me, you know, the outside player and the um, defender hasn't come to the ball, then you should pull away to create the one V one and then come back to help when when the player engages the player with the ball, because now you want to create that two V one. And then the next time we'll send two players and they've got to solve how they're going to get out. If it's if it's two players versus three, you know, and then we talk about an attacking mid being able to come back and help. So rather than choreograph like you play here, then you do this then you do this, we create the same thing. Right. Ball gets played out to the center back, center back, outside back and a holding mid have to solve the problem, though instead of showing them how to solve the problem and you do in the coaching, like sometimes they'll solve it themselves and you're like, awesome. And then that's where I think coaching is comes in, right? Is that some kid, one kid will be struggling. You're like, okay, well, Hey, what did you see? Well, I saw this. Okay. You saw that. What's, what did you, what's the cue? Well, the center back was getting pressured. Okay. Where did you go? I ran away from him. Does that help them? And he's like, no, I should have gone back to him. So when they give you the answer, that's when learning occurs, right? But as adults, we want to give, right? We want to give them, here, do this, do this, do this. But really, if they experience it and they can find the solutions themselves, I think that's when you're going to have special um, players. So for me, if I'm coaching a high school team and we've got to run through how we're going to play out of the back, Certainly, I'm like Corey Craft. If I'm coaching a U9 team, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going to go put, set up an activity that puts them in the same situation they're going to feel in the game and have them problem solve yeah. with the cues that I've given them. So I think it's when and, when and where and what age, I think. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and, and every environment is different. We got into a conversation the other day with, with – um, with a group of coaches and they, and a coach brought up the question, like what formation is best for the seven V seven, I think is what, is what the coach asked. And it's like, well, it depends on a lot of things. Uh, yep. Same, same thing with 99. It's like, okay, what, what are your principles first? Your principles are more important than your formation. So your, 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 if your principles are in place, you can play any number of formations. Um, yeah. And if your club has a style, like if your club's going to go into a four, three, three, well, you want to talk about what a uh, role the target player is. And if you play in a two, three, one, you can talk about pressure cover with your backs. And then you can talk about the outside midfielder covering and dropping in. Right. Like it naturally gets that and you naturally get a target player and you get outside players getting forward. But you're not going to get outside um, backs joining if you play with only two in the back, right? So you give and get in every formation. You can play with three in the back and um, get a different feel. So I think there's not right answers to this game. 
at all. I don't think there's right answers. There's, again, I always say there's better answers, and I think there's um, guidelines that should drive you. And one of those guidelines is do you know why you're doing what you're doing? Yep, I agree with that. If you know why you're doing it, then that that gives it value. Yep. And um, for me, we used to um, – I don't know if you've ever been to Tony Chico's soccer plus camps, but there, there's this thing called pressure training, right? And sometimes we, we bring it up here and there and we talk about it. And there's actually no goalkeeping value in pressure training. There's no goalkeeper value in pressure training, but I do it. But do you know why I do it? I do it because it trains mentality. It, when you, those play players, any kid, any player that's ever been to soccer plus camps knows about pressure training. So there's an infinity across the board, across the country of goalkeepers that have gone to soccer plus, they run into each other. And what do they talk about? Pressure training. When you're done with it, you've gone through like a boot camp. You feel like you're going to puke. You feel like you can't do anymore. And yet you drive through it. It trains mentality. It trains, um, Tony used to always say, earn the right to play well. You earn the right to play well. So it has a mentality-based thing. I've, I've hit a wall. I don't think I can go through it. And I go through it anyways. So is there value in it? As long as you know why you're doing it, there is. Yeah. But it's not for goalkeeping. It's not, you're not going to catch the ball better. Not going to make better saves. But is mentality important in goalkeeping? No, I that, think that answer is yes. And what you're what you're talking about right now is something that I noticed when I was taking the when I took the a USSF sorry USSF no, I can't say it a US, US soccer, soccer. Course, yeah yes uh, when I took one of their coaching courses and and it seems like there's a divide between the C and the B where in the C they're kind of still a little bit rigid like they're, they're the educators are still asking the coaches to do a certain thing or be a certain way and a lot of the feedback I got from coaches that had passed or, or recently taken the B was that they were they were basically told if you can explain the why behind it and why it's valuable to your team or why you're doing it what what the value of it is going to be no problem like if you can explain it and you believe in it wholeheartedly and 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 you know you yeah if if you know your why okay no problem that's that's yeah. that's a passing grade yeah that and that's how it is for me and that's why I love this game cuz you know you I think of it this way. I've never coached a team the same exact way. Um, the other day I was out with our club and um, I ran six teams training sessions. Started at nine, went all the way to four. I ran the same, the same idea of the session, the same exercises almost the whole way through, right? This session was never the same. I had different number of players. I had different ability groups of players. I had to manipulate it based on the numbers that were there, you know, and the talents of the players that were there. And so the session was essentially teaching the same thing. It was very similar activities, but adjusted based on the numbers. And they all, if you'd filmed the session, you would have gone like, there are similarities, but they're not exactly the same. And that's what I think um, coaching is, is that um, there's not one way to do it, but you need to know why you're doing it. And there are things that are good. They're fine. But there might be something that's a little bit better. And then there are some things that you go, wow, that's the best. That right there hits on all cylinders. You're adding decisions. You're adding this. You're adding that. And that's that's where we want to get to. But sometimes we have to go backwards because the players aren't ready or maybe we're not ready. Um, so that that's just where the game is right now in, in, in the U.S. But for me, um, choreographing is fine. But when you teach cues and teach, put people in situations where they're opposed, um, they'll come up with their own solutions. And that's teaching. Like when they can come up with their own solutions, we've really got them. Not that they can come up with the answer, but that they can come up with a solution. And my my idea, those are two different things. I'm solving something or I have the answer. I've memorized that two plus two is four. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you go through your times tables, you've memorized that stuff. 
That's an answer. I want to have solutions. And those solutions, um, those solutions I can, I can, um, do in the game in the moment it makes sense to me because we've told players how many times have you told a player hey i want you to play out to the outside back and then they have a player that goes and stands next to the outside back mm-hmm. and then what do they do they don't know what to do mm-hmm. they don't know how to solve that problem because we've given them an answer so i'd rather give them solutions there stands next to the outside back what can you do tell everybody to push up and we hit it long no problem Yep. You know, so I think, um, yeah, coaching is is fun. And I think um, there, there isn't one way to do it. And I think the key is to make sure you know why. If you know why you're doing it, um, then it'll have value for your teams and it'll have value for your players. No, if you, if you understand the why and then you're able to go out on the field and, and your ideas are able to come to life, who's to tell you that you're wrong? If your ideas are coming to life and your teams are winning, that's – you know, that's, that's success. That's, that's kind of badass. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you have to be careful about, um, when you say, um, what is success, whether it's winning or not winning. Um, because like my, like my club, like if I have a team that goes and wins the whole thing, I'm upset. I want them to have a 500 season. Like, I feel like we put them in the right league if they're 500 throughout the league, because then every day, what are they doing? They're competing. Right. If I'm winning every game, what happens? We just had a team go to the President's Cup. They won seven zero, eight zero, and it's six zero at halftime. What's the second half look like? Has no value for either team. You know, because you're just you already know you can score more, you already know you can do this. So I'm not having to deal with problem solving and competing. So for me, especially with youth, um, in high school, maybe it's different because you're competing against – you want to go out and win those games, and it's a little different environment. But in the youth game, I really feel like if clubs are doing it right, they're finding wins and losses for their teams. Yeah, I think um, some of the DA clubs and, and some of the bigger clubs, they're, you know, they're looking elsewhere, like international competition now, to, to find those other challenging environments because – you know, sometimes in the DA or ECNL or wherever, yeah, it's it's just not challenging enough for for their kids, and they're winning five zero six zero. So they need to they need to find the next benchmark and 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 find the place that's going to challenge them. And a lot of times that's international competition. There's so many levels to it, Lisa. It's it's crazy. Like you, we can go down so many rabbit holes, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to take up your entire day. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I mean, I worked with the DA with the Washington spirit and I think, um, yeah, there's just too many teams at different levels currently, um, to say that every team in the DA is good or every team in ECNL is good or every team, um, not in the DA or ECNL is bad. You know, I think good people are doing, uh, teaching the game, um, the right way. And so, um, I think it's, I don't, I guess I so always see like, if you're a good DA team, then play up. If you're a bad team, you know, you got, you got to find, you go, you should go to a tournament that maybe isn't a DA tournament so that you can go find some success. Like, so again, I think when we create leagues that are rigid, um, we just end up in trouble because teaching shouldn't be rigid. You know, it's like, um, standardized testing, which is a whole other um, can of worms, but you know, everybody is going to be successful in one environment or one and learn in one environment. So um, I think we've kind of hurt ourselves by creating um, leagues that are exclusive to one or two clubs. I think playing in those leagues should be based on um, the qualities of a club and a, based on success and um, maybe that is where there is some relegation promotion. I know I played in a league. I'm from Washington, where if you won, you moved up a league, and if you lost, if you were in the bottom two of that league, you moved down the next season. You know, like that type of thing within states would go a long way. I think. Lisa, now you're hitting on on the most important issue of all, and, and this is the the arena where our coaching ideas they don't have that arena to compete in. So like if, if your idea versus my idea 
you know, we can talk about it all day long, but if, if we can't, if we can't throw our ideas into an arena to actually compete, well then, you know, what's the, what's the point? But if there was an, a proper arena for ideas to compete against each other and move up and down based on merit, then now like we're solving a big, 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 big problem when it comes to, uh, when it comes to American soccer, just, just adding that one little component of, of, of merit-based competition which I think yeah. is really, really interesting and important. And if we did that, I think we see uh, a, a massive wildfire across uh, American soccer. It, it would just, it, it would ignite everything. Yeah, right now, um, it, I think in youth soccer, like, and I I, I put on a, um, a badge in the middle of PA West here in state college no one even has ever seen that badge then i walk out in a washington spirit badge and it's like i'm two different people when i'm wearing different badges i'm like wait i'm still a good coach regardless of what badge (laughs) i have on or in some cases i'm still a bad coach regardless of what badge i have on you know i think with some people so um yeah we've gotten a little caught up in like what league we play in what our teams do versus what is, how are you developing players and are your players developing? They have a starting point with you and they have an ending point with you. And did they um, reach their potential during that time with you is more important than that they went to a DA showcase or an ECNL final. You know, I think we've gotten away from what we're there to do and um, that's develop players. Absolutely. Um, Lisa, where can, where can people connect with you and find more about your, your background and, and your future and, and everything that you're doing, uh, on and off the field? Yeah, I have a website, um, that's up. It's, um, Lisa dash Cole at, um, or, or dot com. And, um, you know, they can always find me at, um, United soccer coaches. I do a ton of work with them and, yeah, I think those are two probably the two best places to catch me um, at this time. Very cool. Uh, I, I actually wanted to compliment you and say thank you about something that's completely unrelated to anything we've talked about. But I went to your website. And I noticed that there's a guy who looks like an instructor in a United Soccer Coaches shirt that has a, a sleeve tattoo. And to me, being a tattooed guy, that means a lot that, you know, somebody would be willing to hire a, a tattooed guy and, and put him in an education role which some it's, it's something completely out there and again not what I wanted to talk about but it, I think about it every day because I have all these pictures on my arm and I actually cover them when I referee youth soccer and, and everything just because of, you know of the perception by parents and, and other administrators but when I saw that, that that guy was on your website I was like oh that's that's kind of cool I appreciate that yeah, I mean, I've got, I have met people and traveled the world, and I think um, for me, it's not about what your what you look like or what comes off um, from an external standpoint, but who are you and what do you do? And some of our best um, best teachers are people that are a little bit um, a little bit. Uh, I don't know what to say exactly, but they, they don't come out of like this cookie cutter environment. Like they come out of like creativity and, you know, Messi, Messi's tattooed and these guys are this and that. Why does a coach have to look a certain way when our players don't look a certain way? So, and maybe it's because I'm coaching currently in state college, Pennsylvania, and I have bearded men around me all the time too. So, And they're, and they're great. So, that's you know, funny. yep. that's, and you're describing me, I'm bearded and I'm tattooed and, and I don't know, maybe scary. I don't know. I try not to be. But. No, you just need to connect with, you need, um, what comes across is their connection with kids and how do they go about their business. And so I think that's what's important and plenty of people that can be clean shaven, well-dressed and, um, still have the wrong intentions when it comes to the game. 100%. Well, Lisa, I thank you. Thank you for your time. And, and again, I apologize for, for confirming, you know, 20 minutes before call time, but it ended up being a, a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. All right. 
right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. 